In this first episode in a two-part series, ISO President and CEO Elliot Mainzer talks about priorities at the California ISO, as well as the critical role that regional markets play in meeting grid objectives. Check it out. Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. Today we have with us the President and CEO of the California ISO, Elliot Mainzer. Elliot, thanks for being on with us. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Good to talk to you. Elliot, I know we've known each other for quite some time. Maybe you can give an introduction of yourself, how you ended up landing down there at Cal ISO. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting saga. It uh, comes on the heels of 18 years of BPA. You know, I think for especially my friends in the Northwest, spent a lot of time up in the Northwest. Uh, great, great, long and satisfying career at Bonneville, including seven years as the Bonneville administrator. I think towards the ten- end of my tenure, as, uh, as Steve Berbrick uh, came up for air and announced his retirement, I kind of took a look at everything that was happening in California, both within the state and also across the West. I think just the opportunity to be part of the the big push towards decarbonization and to help further stitch together the Western United States was pretty much irresistible. And of course, I grew up in San Francisco, native Californian, great opportunity to get back down to North, North, uh, Northern California and be part of the mix. And so everything worked out. Of course, uh, I, I, I was fooling myself into thinking that it might be some form of, of de-escalation of intensity of job. And that <laughs> certainly proved to be wrong, but it, it's been, it's been fabulous. And I'm six months into it. And it's great to catch up. Well, thanks for your tenure at BPA, and we're really excited about what you're going to be able to accomplish there at at the system operator. Today is Wednesday, April 7th. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get my second shot yesterday. It hit me like a ton of bricks, but uh, I'll probably be resting a little bit after our discussion today. How are you? I know the last handful of weeks and the year plus has been pretty exciting. How are you? How are the folks there at the organization? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I think every single one of us is going through some sort of transition during the middle of the pandemic. And for me, both leaving BPA uh, without being able to do a lot of hugs and high fives after a lot of great relationships, and then, of course, coming into the ISO in the middle of the pandemic, it's it's been a bit paranormal. The, the organization has been working remotely since last March. I've probably met face-to-face about 5% of my employees. So we're working remotely. The ISO uh, has, done a, has done a great job uh, with the pandemic. They had a lot of resiliency built in the system. We are able to quickly migrate people to you know, working from home. Uh, but it's been a challenge. And um, you know, I think everybody is really, really lamenting a little bit the fact that uh, so much is going on and having to work remotely. But at the end of the day, head down, getting it done. Fortunately, about two weeks ago, we finally made it onto the priority list for vaccinations in California. So our folks are in the process of getting vaccinated. I had shot number one a couple of weeks ago. Uh, not feeling superhuman yet, but uh, you know, certainly I think <laughs> we're all starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, hoping that probably by May, June, we'll start getting people back in the building. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I love rolling my sleeves up and being in rooms with people drinking cups of coffee on the whiteboard. So I can't wait to get back in the office. I know not everybody shares that, uh, but we'll certainly be getting back to some semblance of normal in the next few months. Yeah, hopefully that's coming soon. So maybe we can start with a bit of a 101. There's not many people who run regional markets. Um, You've been a long proponent and active leader in the development of markets, even in your prior roles. But can you share a little bit of your perspective on the role and importance that uh, regional markets play in the landscape and how they're evolving right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I I'll answer this question with just a a slightly different twist. It's, it's, It's the right question. I would say, you know, I 
have um, for many years been sort of a student in some ways less of markets and more of of coordination. I really am uh, just a big believer that when utilities work together and they pool their resources and they share their dispatch over wider areas, they're going to build more reliability and more value for their customers. And I, you know, having spent so much time up in the Northwest, I was always a big, uh, just big student of the history of the Northwest Power Pool and all the coordinated ops that went down around World War II, and you know, working with Canada through the Columbia River Treaty, then building the inner ties to California, and we've just benefited for many, many years through 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 pooling and sharing resources. And I think that principle, the physics and the economics of wide area coordination are so foundational. And then to the extent to which we can build efficient markets over the top of solid bases of resource adequacy, and we can optimize and share dispatch and look for least cost solutions to energy and capacity and flexibility challenges. And I think those markets, if structured right, can be bring real value. So, you know, in terms of, of the California ISO, certainly, you know, principle number one is, is, is you know, maintaining the reliability of the system and doing that through an efficient, you know, day ahead, real time, hourly energy markets. But the, the ultimate value, and I think something I'm really hoping to see continue to break out across the West is that recognition that by, by coordinating, collaborating, by sharing, by leveraging diversity, by leveraging portfolio effects, and by working together around transmission planning and resource adequacy, that we can create more value and ultimately achieve our clean energy objectives at lower cost. And maybe just another piece of the maybe markets 101 before we jump into some of the topics. Um, traditionally, you know, silos have been rather well established, whether it's, you know, the distribution side, the transmission side, you know, markets, customer. Where do you see that blend becoming kind of interesting where, you know, silos are, are starting to kind of overlap and there's an opportunity for value streams to kind of uh, blend between areas that historically have been very uh, discreet? Yeah, fabulous question. You know, I spent actually a good part of yesterday morning <clears throat> working with one of the big utilities in California, trying to sort of co-imagine that interface between the transmission distribution system in the years ahead. I think, you know, we I think we all know just focusing on California, when you look at the sheer magnitude of resource development, resource replacement that's going to be necessary to meet the 2045 uh, you know, carbon objectives. Uh, we know that a significant fraction of that new resource is going to be on the distribution system, uh, whether it's going to be solar, batteries, microgrids, demand response resources, a whole set of different resources. And a large number of those resources are likely to primarily reside and operate and dispatch within the distribution system itself and provide local reliability uh, services. I think, though, that there will be a subset of those resources that will want to and will naturally have capabilities that can be leveraged into the wholesale market. And so when you think about even, you know, Order 2222 at FERC and the idea that we want to create real opportunities for that subset of resources to participate actively in the wholesale market and vice versa for transmission operators to continue to be able to pull resources from the bulk grid into the distribution dispatch. We have to figure out what that seam looks like and we want to try to build it and evolve it together and make sure that it's super efficient and that's something that has some level of standardization around it as well. We've been, one of the things we've been thinking about at the ISO is, you know, we have these big three investor and utilities in California. We have a number of other big publics and other utilities, all of them to one degree or another are going to be dis developing distributed energy resources. And so we're going to have to have an interface that doesn't have to be reinvented uh, every time we interact with another one of these utilities. And that's true for California. And now with the EIM continuing to grow, and as we get back to work later this year, 
uh, looking further at the, at the, the enhanced AHEAD market, et cetera, uh, we really want to make sure that we have we define a very clean interface uh, between our wholesale dispatch and the distribution system operators. So exactly what kind of regulatory and operational infrastructure evolves, whether some utilities maintain their own sort of autonomy, others bring on independent distribution system operators, some version of hybrids, and then figuring out what that IT OT, you know, sort of information technology, operational technology, buffer and interface looks like are going to be big challenges. And there's a lot of people, yourself included, who are really trying to figure out what that looks like. And I'm really interested in hearing everybody's great ideas and then figuring out how to synthesize them and build them into the grid of the future. Excellent. Well, you covered probably three or four of the areas we'll talk about in the next few minutes here. Can you share a little bit about the priorities and the structure there at uh, the California system, independent system operator, you, you're somewhat new to the role. Yeah. What, what's at the top of your list? Well, I mean, look, priorities number one, two, and three are producing better outcomes this summer. I mean, I think every one of us, you know, I think, you know, I showed up on October 1st. That doesn't really matter anymore. I'm part of the team. You know, we own it now. We got to get things moving in the right direction. I think all of, you know, the political leaders in California, our customers, the utilities, everybody knows we need to work together uh, to try to get through this summer, which could be ch- very challenging again uh, with, with with better outcomes. So all the work that we've been doing on market enhancements and resource adequacy enhancements, getting the, the, the battery storage resources set up for duty into the net peak hours after sunset, making sure that the inner ties and the generation fleet are as healthy as possible, uh, we're doing tabletop exercises with the adjacent utilities just to make sure uh, that we've got our coordination communication protocols as, as solid as possible going into the summer. That's that's a huge focus for us. So a lot of work there for, you know, outside of the state, for our partners um, who are members of the, uh, the energy imbalance market, we ran into some some choppy issues last summer around the EIM, around the sufficiency test. And that is really foundational, that sufficiency test in that sense that everybody sort of shows up to the market. Uh, with a sufficient set of resources. This is so foundational. And there were some questions about why or why not the ISO may may have passed the test under certain conditions. We're happy to answer those questions. There are some additional questions about the priority, uh, about what, I'm sorry, what the consequences should be of, of failing the test that we still need to answer. So there's a lot of work there to firm up that foundation. And then sort of medium and longer term, another big priority for me is really around transmission. You know, the, the, we, we, we always talk about transmission planning. It's always transmission planning, transmission planning. I, you know, to me, I'm finding and feeling a little bit as though we've been doing lots of transmission planning for many years. You look at a map of the West, I think many of us know a lot of the lines that have been developed, and in some cases, even permitted already. I think we need to start moving from transmission planning to transmission construction and transmission energization, because we know that the West is going to need additional transmission. California will need pipeline into other parts of the West. It takes so long to get that stuff developed. We really need to start really, um, I think, accelerating that dialogue, still working through the appropriate regulatory and cost allocation channels, of course, but trying to get the conversation moving uh, with with greater alacrity. And then I would also say, uh, making sure that our substation infrastructure uh, is as prepared and as ready to go as possible. You know, we're going to be bringing a lot of new resource on in California in the next several years. The, the California Public Utilities Commission has approved, you know, procurement of about 7,500 megawatts of additional capacity. And that's, of course, just to make up for some of the generation that's coming out of the ground. So we're going to be doing a tremendous amount of new supply and demand side resource development in California in the years to come. 
And for those of us in the transmission patch and in the infrastructure patch, we really need to make sure that that infrastructure is ready to interconnect these resources and that interconnection queue processes and procurement processes are synchronized to the maximum extent possible so we can get the best projects that are most ready onto the grid. So those are some real priorities. You know, I, I didn't even mention, of course, you know, is, for your previous question, I, I just can't wait to get back in the building and get to meet my people in person. You know, I mean, there's a lot of fabulous people at the Kaiso, super dedicated, really hardworking. You've got a strong culture, and we, and we kind of want to get back to, to you know, continue to work on a culture of, of innovation and responsiveness and sort of collaboration, humility. Those are some of the values that are really important to us. So I'm, I'm also really excited just to kind of get back into a rhythm that isn't dictated by, you know, managing the organization out of my living room, right? This, this pandemic is <laughs> challenges every fiber of your management being. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. Well, I want to cover a lot of these. Can we can we dive in a little deeper yeah. on, on yeah. what happened in the summer? It, you know, it, it appears that a lot of the solutions um, would be very localized. So can you talk a little bit to the interchange between what gets deployed, whether it's storage or demand side uh, within the distribution system, you know, really quite close to the customer need versus kind of the role of wholesale markets and, and you know, how, how the region gets ready for another heat event or other extreme event that's going to really stress the system. Yeah, great question. So and I'll, I'll start out by talking about some of the demand side. You know, California has a, has a fairly complex uh, demand response paradigm. It's something that honestly, I think the CEC and especially the CPC and the CAISO are all struggling to kind of unwind a little bit. We, we all instinctively know that there's a tremendous amount of demand response potential uh, in California, but I think the rules, the regulations, the frameworks, the counting mechanisms, the, account of, the accountability mechanisms are not where they need to be. So we're doing a lot of work and particularly this summer, we're gonna do two things. First of all, we wanna make sure that we have as much participation in what's referenced as an emergency load reduction program as possible. So if the system gets really strained again, if we get another big west-wide heat wave, uh, we want to have a massive amount of responsive demand ready to go and get compensated for it, you know, right up sort of at the cap price cap. So we've got a, the CPC has rolled out a known as the Emergency Load Reduction Program for this summer, and we're going to complement that with a big push on FlexAlert. So I think you may have heard in our flex alert, if, if the ISO starts getting into, we start seeing ourselves getting into trouble, we basically set out a notice and the utilities and others deploy their own demand response programs with their customers. And we're going to really work on the communication and coordination around flex alert this summer because DR really helped a lot last year. And it's going to have to be a big part of the solution again this summer. The other thing is, you know, we have, we have this, this um, set of third party demand response entities that are very interested in building virtual power plants uh, in California, which I find very intriguing. But they have also said to us, um, look, you've, they've said, we're not very happy with the ways that you measure and verify our performance. We've kind of come out, especially in our lessons learned report last summer and said, hey, you know, the demand response, we, we're not sure we, we got as much capacity and capability out of these resources as we had expected. 
And the other side of that equation is, are we doing everything we can to actually unleash their full potential? So I think both sides of those conversations are fair. So this summer, one of the things we're working on is, is effectively a bit of an experiment in making some changes to our baselining methodologies that we use to measure and verify performance of some of the third-party demand response providers to see if that can really unleash some additional capability. So I'm excited about that. So I think we're going to learn a lot about demand response this summer and, and just see which resources really have additional capabilities. So that, of course, is the demand side of the supply side equation. And look, for this particular summer, we're not going to have a ton of additional capability coming on the system. I mentioned before that the principal dispatchable resource that's coming on the system for this summer is is another 1500 megawatts or so of batteries. So that's actually been something that's been very, uh, very, quite frankly, just an, an interesting and enjoyable conversation is working with the battery storage companies and trying to figure out how do we make sure that their sort of debut summer in California is as successful as it possibly can be. And I think, you know, we've, you know, because of the primacy of reliability, I think we've probably, you know, we've taken a little bit of a command and control type of an approach. You know, this first summer we've said, look, if we run the day ahead market and we see insufficiency, we're going to put a minimum state of charge requirement in place for the storage resources to make sure that they're fully charged and ready for duty after sunset. The storage resources have kind of said, hey, Kaiso, we kind of get that, but, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're limiting our ability to really extract the full intrinsic and extrinsic value of our, of our assets by doing that. We understand this first summer is really important, but that is far from the end state of where we want to see the market evolve. And, and we agree with that. And so literally, I think in the next week or two, uh, still finishing dotting I's and crossing T's, we're going to put out another white paper on some of the longer term storage questions. How do we set up the Kaiso market engine? So that it, so that you can better align price signals, bid cost recovery, price you know sort of be, the ability to sort of anticipate forward prices beyond the next hour or two, so that we can really allow the storage assets to optimize their value more. Not just the four-hour lithium-ion batteries that are coming on this summer, but additional chemistries, longer durations, and I would like to see the ISO stay at the absolute leading edge of market design for energy storage. And we're going to work really hard on that. And I really appreciate the collaboration of the storage industry to recognize that this first, you know, early stage, we, you know, especially where we are with respect to you know, supply demand, we really need to have them full duty for, for net peak. But we also want to open up that value. So it's, it's going to be a great conversation. So you also mentioned uh, EIM in your remarks a, a few minutes ago. Can you, and I think there's some recent announcements there as it continues to expand and evolve. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where that heads, how the wider geographic diversity, you know, what, what sort of values that provides and, and kind of the next chapters of the EIM? Yes, I can. You know, look, for me, it's an absolute privilege and an honor to be uh, now administering uh, the energy imbalance market. I, I see that as just one of the true transformational developments uh, in the West in the last few years. And I, I just have, was always so impressed with Steve Berbrick and Mark Roth leader, and the whole team uh, at the Kaiso, and then their partnership with Pacific core initially, then with other utilities to get the EIM going. And it's, it's, it really, it really has been sort of an unabashed success. I mean, it's over a billion dollars worth of benefits, including 300 million to California consumers since 2014. We just onboarded another 
fabulous class of EI amenities in the last couple of weeks. We had Bank Phase 2, Turlock Irrigation District. Just last week, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, fabulous partnership, and, and Public Service Company of New Mexico, which is just a wonderful expansion of both the depth and the geographical breadth of the market. Couldn't be more excited about that. Of course, Northwestern Energy is just around the, around the corner. And, and another class is scheduled for next year. So I think by 2023, we think you know we'll have over you know close to 85% of the load in the WEC part of the EIM. So that's really, really moving in the, in, in the right direction. I think at the same time, we also are hearing very loudly from a lot of our partners uh, in the West, particularly EI amenities and others, you know, folks across the spectrum that they really would like to see the EIM continue to evolve in the next step. So the way we're thinking about it is here in the next two to three months, we have several really specific things that we're taking on vis-a-vis EIM. I talked with about the sufficiency test, getting that right. We want to bring to a, I think, a satisfactory and effective conclusion the conversations around the governance of the EIM. There's a, a strong desire amongst the existing EIM entities for greater joint authority uh, between the EIM governing body and the CAISO's Board of Governors. I think that's right, and I think that's important, but we're still grappling a little bit, especially with the California utilities, on, on how to get to yes on that. Um, I, I see it as essential. Uh, I think folks all inside the state also do, but the devil's in the details. So there's a lot of work going on literally this week, next week, and into the early part of the summer to try to bring that aspect of the, of the conversation to a conclusion. The other thing we're doing is, interestingly... Um, the California, the big California investor-owned utilities, for better or worse, have not been that deeply involved in the EDAM conversation, and they've, they, you know, we've had there's been a lot of focus on the external entities and a lot of great success there, but they've been a little bit sort of indifferent to that. And you know, from their perspective, look, they're already part of a fully integrated ISO, arguably an RTO, given that we have a part of Nevada uh, under under our you know, purview. And, you know, they've consolidated their balancing authorities, they have financial transmission, you know, they have all of these big responsibilities. And and I think that they see probably long term uh, wanting to go even beyond uh, an an enhanced day ahead market. But I think we all recognize that that's longer term. The next step is probably something along the EDAM. So we're going to get the over the course of the summer, we're going to spend some more time with the California utilities, making sure they really are brought up to speed on the economics and the proposals that have been in place. We're going to finish the EIM elements, try to have a really successful summer operation, working really closely with the adjacent utilities and system operators to achieve that. And then when we get into the fall, I think we'll start taking up the next generation of conversations about the longer term market. I know some people would like to go faster, but we're trying to be really, really deliberate, make sure we firm up the sufficiency test. Uh, We have a couple other uh, issues around wheel throughs and import exports that we're trying to stitch together, uh, get the joint authority issues, you know, brought to a conclusion and get the California entities brought into the mix and then get ready for the next big push. So I'm excited about that. We're really ramping up for another push. And then of course, the last thing I'll say is you know we have a lot of coordination and coalition building to do inside California. A lot of listening, making sure that the the folks inside California really understand the value proposition, that their voices are heard, and that we can take a step together that everybody feels good about.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region. Thank you.